Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast hosted by Becky Hills and Sophie Scully. We're here to make your 20s that little bit less scary. Touching on everything from career anxiety, struggling to pay your rent and the imposter syndrome that we all feel but no one talks about, this podcast will prove that ultimately we're all in the same boat. and welcome to episode 12 of Grad Life by the Horns. We just want to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of you who have supported us because reaching a dozen episodes is a really significant milestone for Becky and I. So thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. This week, we are joined by the wonderful girls, Joy and Emily, who are both graduates, both in their 20s. So we just have a really good chit chat about all things grad life. (laughs) But most importantly, we talk about their passion project, Quarter Life magazine. Joy and Emily co-founded Quarter Life mag at the beginning of 2019. And over the past year, they have been going from strength to strength. Quarter Life magazine works as a platform for confused 20-somethings and basically talks about all things that education did not teach us. Some of these including how to structure your day, how to go about relationships and friendships, job searching, and they also recently paired up with Talent Pool and put out some really good content about job searching and careers, so we really recommend you go and check that out. If you want to find them on social media, Their Twitter and Instagram is at quarterlifemag. Most importantly, their magazine works as a website. So if you want to find them, their website is www.quarterlifemagazine.com where all the content is there. And if you want to get involved, you can find all the information there too. The way they collect all their content is through getting submissions from people like us. So if you have a unique topic about grad life or your 20s, and you really want to share it and your interest in journalism and blogging and just writing articles, definitely get involved. It'd be something really cool to become a part of. Thank you so much, Joy and Emily, for coming on, having such a great chat. We had so much in common and we also learned so much from you guys and I'm sure you listeners will too. So without further ado, let's get on with the episode. This week we are joined by the wonderful Joy and Emily. Welcome girls, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. So first of all, we just ask a couple of questions just to kind of get the ball rolling a bit. And this is a new thing to us, isn't it, Bex? Yeah, very new, testing it out. (laughs) Yeah. So just going to ask you both, what's gone wrong recently? Could be anything. Recently or today (laughs) that's recent yeah (laughs) last 10 minutes sure I am always trying and failing to be an adult and a grown-up I think especially at work and my most recent example of this was when I was asked to do some training on an app that we've been told to download at work and I just couldn't get the app to work and it kept crashing and I just didn't know what was going wrong and I said to my manager look I'm just not going to be able to do this training it's not working and she said go to IT they'll fix it for you took my phone to IT they're looking through and they're like, your storage is full. I'm like, I'm like, how is my storage full? Then they go through my storage and they say, ah, you have 30 episodes of Naked Attraction downloaded on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's causing the problem. <laughs> so I had to go back to my manager and tell her the reason I couldn't do my training was because I was had too many episodes of Naked Attraction on my work phone. That's so that's awesome probably great, what's yeah. gone wrong for me recently. That's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about you? Um, so I think... Anybody that knows me from the last two jobs, maybe not my current job, but certainly when I worked with Joy at McCann, will know that I sort of go through regular processes where I will um, analyse my personal style. (laughs) And when back at McCann, I decided I needed a new style, like a new look. Basically, I I sort of default to very slouchy, non-adult clothes. So I decided I needed to be a bit more grown up for, you know, professional purposes and I had another sort of another reflection moment recently where I was like I'm 
I need to, again, go with the new style thing. And part of that was my nails, because I gesture quite a lot in meetings and when I'm talking to people. And I, my mum always comments that I ha- always have chip nail varnish or my nails always look a bit scruffy. So I bought these acrylics, which were £9 from Amazon for nice. 240 nails. And I'm not... That's very good. <laughs> <And> that's <laughs> really good. Absolute <laughs> bloody bargain. You could start your own shop. I know. <laughs> Never thought I'd be one of the... Not not to say anything about people that wear acrylic nails, but I never thought I was an acrylic nail kind of gal. But they're very natural looking, they're French manicured, and I put them on and was feeling on top of the world. And then um, went to kind of swipe my swipe card to go into work the following day, and with both thumbs somehow managed to like catch them on the pass and on the barrier and just both thumb acrylics just flicked off. (laughs) And it was just a moment of like, oh... Were you in your meetings, like, covering up your thumbs, just like this? Well, like, that was the worst part. And then I had to scrabble around on the floor by the barrier when everyone was trying to get in, hastily stick them back on with these sticky pads, and then walk up just, like, pressing my thumbs, trying to stick the <laughs> nails back down. But, yeah, just another, one of the many examples when you think you're becoming a real adult and then you realise you're still just a chaotic yeah. The intention child. was there. You're trying. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I think for both of you, they both make quite a good story anyway. So that's the well, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> do it for the stories. Exactly. It's quite often that weird things happen to you in your life and you think, you know, this is going to be a great anecdote though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and a bit of like a more positive question. What's going on for you recently? So just, it could be anything that's going on in your life or your work life. Uh, I could take this one. I, but it's quite embarrassing admitting it in case, well, because probably nothing will happen with this, but I, um, I really love writing and for the last couple of years, so when I was quite a bit younger I used to write a lot Um, and for the last couple of years I've been um, writing again so I I wrote a first draft of a novel last year which I've decided to pause um, and come back to later in life but then recently I've finished a draft of a second novel and I'm currently re-editing I'm on like my fourth or fifth edit now and I'm just going to keep going until I'm still just very far from being happy with it but I'm really enjoying the writing process and feeling really fulfilled by it so that plus quarter life plus job is keeping me really busy <laughs> amazing yeah. what's the novel you. about uh it's what can you not reveal <laughs> i can give a very top line it's about a girl who starts her career in an advertising industry and yeah it's a bit of a coming of age story in a quite toxic environment Oh, that sounds really interesting. Excited. Yeah. Well, I need proofreaders, guys. So yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I studied English, but I don't know how well. Oh, well. We could. <laughs> I mean, I did politics, and so not quite the same. But sure I can try. A great I can point try. Of view on it. Mm. What about you, Joy? So, what's going on for me at the moment? I mean, you kind of said it right that like when you have work and a project on the side, it's sort of like, well, that. But that's not a very interesting story. So, beyond that, I've been trying to make good on some bucket list things that I've always wanted to do. And before Christmas, I did my first ever stand-up comedy gig, and it's something that I've wanted so to do for a really it's long so time. Good. Oh, my oh my god! Oh no, this is setting a standard that's way too high, and I'm not going to be funny on this podcast at all. <laughs> and all the listeners are going to be like, don't do it, don't bother. <laughs> like comedy is such a scary requires so much like so ballsy yeah I mean you said people are always like oh stand up it's so brave such a brave thing to do it's like really it is the most self-absorbed thing you could ever do it's like I'm going to put myself in front of a room full of people and force you to look at me for no other reason than I, other than I think I'm funny. You know, I'm not singing, I'm not acting. It's just, it's totally self-absorbed. So, listen to my gags. Listen to my gags and please <laughs> laugh and please clap. But it is, I mean, it's really fun to do and it's a great experience. And so I did a, my first stand-up show before Christmas. And I guess what's going on for me right now is that I want to do my second show and see what it's like when the audience isn't predominantly my mum, my brother and my best friend. I feel like the reception might be slightly different and it'll be good for me to have that experience. So yeah, that's that's what's going on for me at the moment. Gosh, it's really exciting. So Becky, cool. what can we bring to this? <laughs> we've got a comedian and we've got a novel, novelist. And I'm here. hungover. <laughs> well, we're that too probably. <laughs> well, brilliant. Well, it might be a, a good place to start before we get into quarter life and all that kind of stuff is to just ask you girls personally like kind of a summary of what your grad life has been so where you where you came from at university and where you are now I studied English literature um, as an undergrad at Sheffield and then I took a year out 
and I did one of the best experiences I've had so far in my life was I did three months of volunteering in um, Tanzania Wow. where I met lots of amazing people, a lot of whom I'm not in touch with anymore, but a couple that are still really good friends of mine. And then I worked at a personal injury law firm as a sort of admin assistant type thing to save up to do a master's. Um, so I then did a master's at Oxford in English literature, the Romantic period, so 1700 to 1830, so like the Austin, Wordsworth, Coleridge um, period which was like super intense. I can I mean, imagine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really the Oxford type, I don't think. And there were a lot of like real brain boxes there. So yeah, that was, that was quite full on. And I started my first magazine actually while I was at Oxford, which was with my two best friends, which was called Foci, which was an arts and culture magazine. And it was designed because I really loved writing at the time. And the big publications felt a bit out of touch, um, from not out of touch, out of reach from me. So it felt like um, it would be really difficult to get my pieces published when I was still sort of learning, still honing my writing skills. And a lot of them said, we don't really take unsolicited submissions. So I felt like student papers were quite limited to just a student community. So I wanted something in between that was like a space that people would read and that I could get my pieces out there, but that wouldn't just be limited to Sheffield. So that was when I thought, why don't I make a magazine that can that people can submit their pieces to and I can sort of practice editing and help edit their pieces. And then the reason it was quite an interesting sort of collaborative project was that my two best friends one was an architect and one was a fine artist so we sort of were three different specialisms or three different sides of art coming together so we had photographers we had artists we had video makers we had writers and we'd encourage them to collaborate um so certain images would go with certain pieces and um so that was um sort of my testing ground that then um, I, I really enjoyed doing that more than anything else I'd done in my life and to the day that we started Quarter Life I hadn't enjoyed anything quite that much and then yeah I, I graduated from Oxford, moved quickly to London and made my way through some agency jobs and then met Joy and then that's when I put to Joy, do you want to start a magazine together? <laughs> And that's that was where, where it all began. Yeah, yeah that was her pickup line to me. <laughs> yeah. She was easy. The rest is history. Um, <laughs> I'm conscious I made that sound really easy, but I think the first time I graduated, I made it quite easy for myself because I said, I'm not going to try and get a job now because I'm not even going to try. I'm not mature enough. I hadn't had any internships throughout my whole undergrad degree. I was just like, I'm going to go to Tanzania for three months and then that will be it. And because I'd done quite quite well in my undergrad degree and still really wanted to keep studying because I wasn't quite ready to go out into the big wide world yet I felt like I had a bit of a comfort blanket around me in the first the entire first year after undergrad so when I'm going around talking about the lost year I feel like a bit of a fraud actually because I filled my lost year with things that meant I never had to feel like a failure to get a real life well actually looking back that was probably one of the best things I did with that year but then the, the second graduation after Oxford I spent like countless countless weeks months in my parents kitchen in my dressing gown with my hair and a bun on top of my head just screaming at my family just really depressed because I couldn't get a job so I made so it sound you, very easy but you postponed your last year then <laughs> I postponed my yeah that's a good yeah. way of looking yeah. at it yeah I think that's the thing it can it affects people at different times doesn't it it's not always the immediate year first year out of university it can come later on Mm. but I think we all hit that moment at some point in our early 20s when we have that realization of okay am I on the path that I want to be on Um, am I doing the job that really makes me happy and then you start to ask some uncomfortable questions that don't have easy answers and I think that's I guess um, where we try to help as a magazine really during those those times when you're having doubts or you're anxious or it all feels a bit overwhelming we try to be there like the big sister kind of comforting you and giving you like honest advice but in a funny way so it's not intimidating but makes makes things easier for you and I suppose my kind of graduation story is I mean in some ways similar we both studied English I studied English at Bristol and I absolutely loved it had such a great time at Bristol but it did kind of hit me halfway through second year that there were lots of people around me who, while I'd been out having fun, had been at home writing applications for grad schemes, nailing them, landing them. And I was like, oh, God, OK, graduation is coming up. I need to get a job. I, you know, I didn't have any money to go travelling. I didn't have any savings. So it was like, OK, right, job or nothing. So 
I sort of applied for a probably 25 different advertising agencies that I wanted to work at and heard nothing back really. Um, so that was a little bit demoralizing, but I knew it was what I wanted to do because I felt I had quite a creative background. I'd also run a magazine at uni. It was a feminist magazine called That's What She Said. And um, wow, <laughs> great punny title. I'd had so much fun doing that. And like Emily was saying, it's, it's so much of it when you run your own magazine is about like the art direction of it, coming up with article ideas. So it's highly creative. So I loved that side of things, but also was aware that I needed something slightly analytical and challenging as well, because like with English literature, I, I loved forming arguments and critical thinking, all of that stuff. And advertising just seemed like a really great opportunity to do that. So sort of the way I set myself up with some internships after graduating was contacting people individually on LinkedIn. And I found this amazing planner who really kind of took me under her wing and gave me advice. And she said, I can take you on as an intern at this ad agency. There's no promise of like a permanent job at the end of it, but you know, you can get your foot in the door. So that was fantastic. And rather than like cold calling all these other agencies, I think making those personal connections is probably a really good way to go in in creative industries. And she offered me this place. So I was kind of set up after I graduated. I went straight into an internship in London, did that for about three months over the summer. And then um, while I was there, I I was able to kind of be within that world and that network that I I wanted to become a part of and meet people who could maybe introduce me to more permanent roles. And I managed to get a job at McCann through through that. So and I've been at McCann since then. So since 2017 um, as a strategist and yeah, really enjoying it. Wow, well done girls. You come <laughs> even with the magazine, like it's not just quarter life, that's not your only magazine experience. You guys have built up that experience and done stuff at university, which is just brilliant. Yeah, having said that, I would never deter anybody who wanted to set up a magazine by, you know, making it making it out to be something that you need to have experience for. Like you you do just teach yourself, don't you? Mm. You bumble along, the resources are all out there, it doesn't cost very much and it's just like the most fun ever, isn't it? That's part of the enjoyment of it, I think, teaching yourself how, how to do it. That's what you guys do with this, I guess. part of the challenge, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's so easy when you come out of uni to be like, I need to go to the big newspapers, I need to do this, I need to do that. But actually, like, setting up your own thing, it requires so much more effort and actually you can reach more engaged audience and you know that who you're reaching is actually going to be benefiting from what you're writing. Mm. So I feel like it's probably a lot more fulfilling than just writing for a newspaper. Definitely. Definitely. And you get to think about all the fun things like, well, what's our brand? What's our kind of voice? What's the editorial guidelines for this particular platform? So all that you wouldn't get to do if you were writing for someone else's brand. And if your audience is very similar to you, then you can produce stuff that's really insightful that no one else would really be able to produce because they don't have your perspective on things. And I think, again, with Quarter Life, that was something that we were really passionate about because we felt that there wasn't really a mainstream publication out there that was talking about all of these strange anxieties and questions that you have at this time and like the way that the relationships between you and your friends or your parents changes. And there were so many things that you felt that you were on your own with, um, but that actually a lot of people were also experiencing, but it just wasn't being reflected. Mm, And I think a lot of our content, I mean, Fleabag has obviously been like absolutely exploded onto screens. And I think people love it so much because of the way it deals with shame and shameful Mm. topics and things. Phoebe Waller-Bridge in general is just... I mean, yeah. She's incredible. We we can't be her. But, um, But our content does deal with a lot of stuff that you could find quite shameful like we've both written for it and we've both felt quite exposed in the process of doing it but there's something quite uplifting and quite special about sharing in the way that we have and the way that our contributors have I mean we could never have predicted or asked for contributors that we've had they've just been amazing haven't they Mm -hmm. so willing to share and I was saying to Joy like we we met up the the other evening and we were chatting about it and I have found personally and this isn't this is me saying this genuinely I've been there because I I receive all the pieces and will be the first the first pair of eyes over them and um, over the process of receiving the pieces reading them for the first time and thinking bloody hell there's a lot of truth in that and then working on them sending them to joy by the time the piece is out the kind of catharsis that you get personally somebody else who's contributing to your magazine telling you these harsh truths or these insights that you didn't realize you needed to hear so there's been so many 
aspects of my life that have been positively affected by other people's words mm-hmm. in contribution to quarter life which yeah. has been amazing and that's the big thing I wanted to ask about actually was the fact that you do have those contributors what was it that you thought what was like motivating you to have different people writing for you and not just it being you two we we would never presume to have the kind of definitive view of what what our generation is feeling or thinking or saying or what their experience is and we will we will never have even if millions of people of this age group write for us or get in touch with us or share with us we will never be the experts our whole ethos is that every 20 something is so different that you need every single first-hand experience you can get you can get because there is so much nuance in every individual experience and it's all in those shades of grey I mean I think the thing that we say is that we want to make sure that we're reflecting the kind of spectrum of different experiences but also helping people see that they're never the only one that's going through that so yeah we could never be a representative voice the two of us we're both from similar backgrounds we've done similar things at uni from similar family setups you know we're not representative at all and equally we we do recognize that nobody's ever the only person going through something and how powerful it can be to read that somebody else is going through the same thing as you so the multitude of voices that we have and hope to continue to have is what makes quarter life quarter life it wouldn't be it without without that if it was just us Hmm. and we feel really privileged as well to be able to show that nuance of experience of people our age within our generation because quite often going back to sort of like mainstream publications if you read those when they're talking and commenting on people our age, you'd get a very one-sided or one-dimensional uh, picture of things, especially around major current events and current affairs, so around the election or around Extinction Rebellion protests. And I think the media like to paint Gen Z with very broad brushstrokes, and it's, it's often, as Emily was saying, much greyer than that. It's much less defined. And we often find, so we'll, we like to do polls with our audience and our followers and see how they're feeling about things. And quite often we get like 50-50 split about stuff. It's rarely like 100% agree with this thing or feel really confident or happy with this thing. So it kind of keeps us in check as well and checks our biases and again reminds us that, you know, we're not representative of everybody and we have a duty to reflect that diversity of our generation. It's often the case, isn't it, when you, you think you know what the majority think but it's not the case and we have a similar issue as well Mm. because one of our priorities to make sure that we have a variety of voices on this podcast and I think a good question to you guys is when you first started quarter life and you were obviously you had your own circles and on social media you reach people that you knew how did you grow that awareness of the magazine so you did get that big diversity in voices and submissions I don't think we're there yet in terms of diversity of voices and it's something that we want to keep pushing and it's something that we will as soon as we start making money which is actually very soon we've we've just launched the part one of our first ever paid partnership so we will hopefully start to make little bits of money and I think we will invest that in ways to reach other voices perhaps paying for articles that will pull in new new audiences and new perspectives but from the beginning, the way we kind of, the, the launch pad we built ourselves, we, we basically started the Instagram account a few months before we launched the website. And we sent some press releases off to publications and some podcasts. We sent one to the Hilo and they, mm. they spoke about Quarter Life for, for a little bit. And that got us quite a lot that of really um, boosted things. Yeah. traction. And that's really. what I'd recommend to anyone who wants to start their own project, their own magazine, is to just you know, be a bit cheeky. And we just emailed the Hilo podcast and said, look, we're doing this new thing. This is what it's about. It'd be great if you could mention it on your show. Didn't hear anything back and thought, fair enough. They don't know us from Adam, whatever. And then my housemate, a few weeks later, messaged me on WhatsApp one morning. She goes, Joy, I've had to pull over. She was cycling to work. You've just been mentioned on the Hilo. And I was like, oh my God. It was so exciting for us. And she um, went, You've just had a mention, nay, an entire segment on the Hilo. <laughs> and that just was incredible for us. And we never would have expected that they would talk about us. So we're so grateful. And like Emily said, that brought a lot of people to our magazine. And I think when we were starting out, we looked, we tried to be a bit tactical about things. So we knew we had to grow our following and 
that maybe other people could help us get there. So one of our first pieces we published was an interview with Freddie Blackett from Patch Plants. He set up Patch Plants. He was kind of one of these founders under 30, really interesting guy, super smart. And I messaged him saying, look, I'd love to interview you for this magazine I'm doing. It's about this. And would you be interested? And he was so generous with his time, let me interview him. And then they shared it on their channels when it went, when the article went live and that again helped us. So it's all about these little incremental things that you can do to just widen your circle a bit. And it does take time. And as Emily said, we're like nowhere near where we'd like to be, but mm. we're really pleased with where we've got to in the time as well. Because we only yeah. launched in, well, it's not even a year, a year ago. So we're really Coming pleased. up to our year anniversary. Yeah. And to that point, I think what I've learned about projects and just... I guess achievements and success and progress is that you or I certainly expected things to come in these big kind of waves of um, euphoria and what's the word kind of eureka big euphoric yes I've made it moments and actually it's nothing like that and I don't think at any level maybe if you win an Oscar but even then it's all relative (laughs) even then you probably know that you're going to be touted for one so it's not going to be a massive surprise like these serotonin spikes that you get from these little wins you know it doesn't all happen at once everything's build up and it's it's like building a house it's it doesn't happen in huge shocking stages it happens brick by brick and so I think you get these little wins and you really have to make yourself satisfied with those and they do bring you little lifts but at no point I don't think would we will we ever no matter what we achieve or succeed at, I think it will always feel like tiny bits of progress bit by bit yeah very rarely do things come out that maybe once or twice in your lifetime do you get the achievements that are so unexpected and so disproportionate and so huge that they're like wow this is amazing and I think that as a kind of in my early 20s, I'm now 27, but in my early 20s, I was just chasing those feelings. So I was like, why aren't I getting those feelings of like huge success? Oh, you'll never get those. I'll never get those feelings. And that's fine with me, actually. Mm. If it's going to be brick by brick, that's fine. Yeah, and I think that's so important to recognise because kind of as a 21-year-old, I was just like, well, I'll go into my career and it'll all be so exciting all the time. And now I'm seven months in and I'm like, well, it's getting a bit boring now. Mm. And I'm like, well, what else can I be doing? But actually it's just sitting in that feeling and becoming comfortable, not with being bored, but life becoming normal. Mm. And it's not always going to be a series of these incredible highs and incredible lows you just got to kind of go with it and be like actually enjoy the mundanity of like life which sounds quite deep but it's just like <laughs> it's actually though. yeah you've just yeah. kind of got to push through that feeling because it's not always going to be as exciting as you expect it to be yeah and, and the, the stuff on the side like you've got a podcast it's amazing and they don't have to be big kind of huge money making schemes like I was chatting to one friend who was like life's really good actually I've got this side project which basically I'm instead of buying a house I'm going to buy a houseboat and I'm going to do it up and I feel really fulfilled because in my lunch hours now or after work I'm I'm browsing on houseboat and I I think that's the interesting thing when you graduate you have to create those moments of fulfillment for yourself and um, allow yourself to feel happy and grateful and acknowledge when you know those moments when when you should be feeling that way because no one's going to tell you no one's going to tell you you've done a great job or very rarely anyway and we've come out of an education system where it's so clearly like goal defined and you're like okay Mm. if I work really hard I'll get this pat on the back I'll get this grade and that'll be me validated I'll have done a good job and then when you go into work it's like but no one's patting me on the back am I doing a good job Mm. when's the exam there's never the exam the exam is every day and you're always feeling like you're failing because you're learning and you feel like you're falling short and you're not as experienced as everyone else so it's it's taking those moments to be like hey I'm I'm doing an all right job and having something on the side that gives you fulfillment that maybe you're not getting from your grad job because realistically it's probably not your dream career yet so Mm -hmm. and touching on the house thing I think it's also important to recognize that your side hustle doesn't have to be like a money-making career-defining thing it can just be something that makes you happy because I think now we're in this society where it tells you that you need to be doing something incredible on the side you've got to Mm. have a podcast you've got to be doing a magazine yeah and actually it's like no you can just do something that's fun you can paint you can do some painting you can do something it doesn't have to always be money making and career defining yeah you can get yourself a cinema pass and see every single film and like there's these cool little instagram accounts that have like tiny reviews of every single film that comes out across the year they're like not particularly time consuming i imagine compared to starting your own business but like loads of fun really creative it doesn't have to make money it doesn't have to have legs as your future career Mm. 
And I think it's quite interesting as well, talking about needing that kind of recognition at this age. A lot, a lot of people our age are kind of always seeking that euphoria or eureka moment, like you said. But as two um, young women who are running a magazine on the side of full-time jobs, how do you kind of really celebrate those small successes and don't dwell over the moments when you don't have that much success? Mm. I think it's a it's a constant process, and I don't know if I've really got like the answer to that because it is a tricky thing, and I think every day you you struggle with it, and it's just for me it's like trying to be kinder to myself mm. because at school I was such a teacher's pet. I was always I always wanted to be perfect and hundred percent and work really hard and please people, and I think there's still a bit of that mentality there. I'm quite often quite self critical quite negative to myself and I was saying this to you the other day Emily it's like you know would I would I you know accept a friend into my life who spoke to me the way that I speak to myself and if the answer is no then you kind of need to have a think about your mindset oh, and that's that such a brilliant thing to <laughs> I'm sure I've stolen that from someone <laughs> but I find it helpful to remember and I'm not all, I'm not always able to achieve it but I like to try and have that attitude and and try and just be yeah just be kinder to myself because it's very easy to get self-critical and have imposter syndrome but try, trying to take a step back and get perspective on things is really important I think doing something with somebody else is a huge part of it I guess maybe you guys have found this as well but a lot of the time our emotions aren't rational I've just started doing this actually but because I, I love advising my friends, so I've always been the sort of friend that takes pride in being the one that has sort of the answers, or if you've got a problem or a crisis, I love to listen and then to give my point of view on it and try and help. Um, You're the Mother Teresa of the group then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try. <laughs> Absolutely not like that with myself at all, and quite similar to Joy in terms of my mindset, but I've just started to, when I'm having real panics or getting into a head's been about things just saying like if this was somebody else what would you tell the person mm-hmm. to do and just removing yourself from it for a second and being like okay it's not it's, if this wasn't about me but it was somebody else and you knew everything you know about the situation but it's not you in the middle of it what would your advice be and there's it's amazing the way the emotion just disappears it's like oh okay I don't I don't actually need to be emotional about this I just need to think rationally and think okay what's the way forward but our emotions aren't predictable and aren't always there for the for a reason or for the right reasons. And I find that at times that I'm kind of in emotionally the wrong place and vice versa with joy, the other one's always on an up or on a positive. But there are often times when I'll be like really down about stuff and then I'll get a text from joy who's clearly feeling really excited about the course of life or like a stream of... we. It's funny, when I ran my last magazine, if... if the girls I, I ran it with listen to this, they'll be laughing because I was just so intense and just so driven and constantly wanted to talk about it and have ideas and I think I really pissed them off. Um, <laughs> luckily, they're my best mates, so it doesn't really matter. But um, with Joy, she's similar to me. We're similarly intense. We're similarly intense. <laughs> Same level that. of intensity. <laughs> so you just get like streams of... And it's when it's when there's no way you can ever reply. Like, and I do it to Joy as well. Like, when I'm on a night out, I'll get like ten messages from Joy. Like, I've been thinking, blah 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 blah, blah and then vice versa. This is how we can take over the world. You're yeah, like, I'm having a shard day. <laughs> <laughs> <Literally, laughs> exactly the same. I've had to like start voice noting now because I'm like, I just can't type all this out. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you no, do, that. do that too. Yeah. But it's good when to your to your question, how do you make sure that you celebrate the wins and stuff when you're not in the right headspace to be celebrating the wins if there's somebody there to remind you no it's pretty good what we've done here like let's just take a moment Um, to be quite happy for for it for example we organised our own Christmas party which was just (laughs) me and Emily and we went and had a nice dinner (laughs) oh that's so cute (laughs) (laughs) so it's yeah it's about creating those moments where you can reflect on what you've done and your achievements and actually think you know I'm doing alright when you say Christmas party I was thinking oh like who went to my party yeah Yeah, it was massive (laughs) that's even better though you get to have a proper conversation yeah it's exclusive just us two with party poppers yeah (laughs) no I love that though I like what both of you said about kind of taking what you would say to other people or how you would treat other people and applying that to yourself because I think we do get so wrapped up in our own heads and we're just like 
oh god like this is horrendous and you get so intense and then you're like actually if I was talking to someone else like this what would I say Mm. and there's a really good book I don't know if you've read it called The Chimp Paradox and it talks Mm. about how your your emotional mind is this chimp and what would you say to the chimp and how would you treat it and so every time an emotion comes into your head you just see it as the chimp and I think that I try I'm not very good at it but I try and do the whole like okay let's let's separate my emotions from me because you are actually separate from your emotions and it's so easy to define yourself by that because you can't split it up in your brain but actually by saying okay well maybe it doesn't need to be a chimp but it can be like how would I treat my friend Mm -hmm. and then having that friend in real life as well to kind of boost you is so such an important thing to have and definitely shouldn't be kind of underestimated I don't think yeah and another way I heard it put really nicely the fact that thoughts are not unique to us as people like I have a thought about I'm worried about failing at work but that's not a thought that's that makes me Emily like every single person in the world has had that thought at some point so it's a it's a thought that belongs to the human condition not to my personality and actually as soon as you realize that it's so freeing because it's like oh look there's that thought coming in to my head okay I'll give myself 90 seconds I'll look at the thought I'll turn it over and then I'll just let it go because it's not mine. It's not part of who I am. So that's that's sort of helping as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, like Joy said, it's there's no one answer. And it's not that suddenly you hear this nice metaphor and then it's all cracked. Like, I think probably you have to work at it every day for mm. the rest of your life, really. Mm-hmm. And it's like a muscle. The more you think about it, the more you practice these small kind of thinking patterns, the more strong they become like a muscle. So Yeah, and it's the baby steps, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. stopping those limiting beliefs, which is easier said than done. Yeah. yeah. What would be really cool to actually know is the background of the magazine. Seeing as we're talking about working as a pair and doing a side project as a pair pair and stuff. Because you have a big following on social media. You post a lot on social media. You obviously have your online magazine and all the submissions and stuff. How do you guys split it down the middle? Well kind of exactly like that we we find it we find it really helpful to like divvy up the different jobs that need to be done based on our own skill sets and what we enjoy most so for example um, Emily's really good at doing the Instagram account and responding to people and fielding requests to, to write and submissions and that kind of thing whereas I kind of own the website and do the website design and uploading and I'll also do like Twitter and Facebook so I think having that clear clear demarcation of roles really helps, especially when you don't have much time. It just makes things so much clearer of who's got to do what, when. So that's kind of how we divide it up between us. And then in terms of, I think we've realised, and it's different for everybody, but we've realised that we get the most energy and we're the most productive and we're the most enthusiastic when we get together face-to-face. So we tried phone calls for a bit. We tried, we tried like coffees after work. And whilst they were good to just run through things and just be like okay admin what needs doing they were good for logistics they weren't good for energy or carrying you through coming up with ideas that stuff needs a weekend and we found like powering through on a weekend having like an overnight thing where you start off with brunch on a Saturday and finish with maybe like a maybe finish mid-afternoon on a Sunday you get so much done and it puts us in a really good headspace and it gives us the energy that we then need to carry through to the next big meeting so I think working out if you're working with somebody else working out when you're most productive and what works for you in terms of meeting up and conversations is so crucial it's like the backbone of of whatever project it is. Mm. Does it take you a while to kind of get into the flow? I think Probably the biggest one was that when you start a new project, you're so excited about it and you have so many ideas and things you want to do that the the struggle becomes fitting in with the time. And what we've learned is to kind of manage our own expectations of what is doable and not be too hard on ourselves if we can't do everything we want to do straight away. Because we had so many ideas for articles we wanted to publish and we were initially like, we're going to publish two articles a week or three articles a week and we're going to do all the social media and it's going to be great. We're going to be able to do that with our jobs, no problem. Kind of turned out that actually one article, maybe two, is doable and a certain number of social posts and that kind of thing. But also allowing for a bit of flexibility, so not setting ourselves like a really strict goal if we know that something might come up, which means we can't do it. So Because also we want everything to be of a certain quality Mm. if we have to hit targets of volume targets then we'd be 
kind of probably compromising on quality quite a lot whereas we have so many rounds of edits for some pieces don't we yeah we're very involved with everything we post so we'll have read it at least twice sometimes three times and because we only want to publish stuff that you know we're really proud of and sort of reflects our our magazine's point of view on things so as you were saying it's about quality over quantity always with us and we have some quite quite pointed I'd say style guidelines which I think has been helpful because I mean we didn't have that at the start so we were just sort of dredging everything by some sort of gut feel but now you know it needs to be personal expression but not a kind of what's the word you use a confession not a confessional not a diary yes I was actually going to talk about this because mm. I think what's really clever is you have your guidelines don't you on your on the magazine web page is there eight of them yeah and I think that's really good especially when you're trying to cater to a particular audience because otherwise you would just get floods of so many similar articles coming in did you always have these guidelines or did you just opened up the gates and then you're like oh we need to do some kind of filtering here so what was so great when we launched was that we were really heartened by the number of messages we got from people who were kind of pouring their hearts out to us and saying so glad we found this platform because this really reflects how how we're feeling I haven't seen anyone talking about this before here's my life story and it was so nice that they wanted to share that with us but it wasn't something that was really publishable and sometimes it took quite a bit of time to craft that into a story that could then have helpful takeouts for other people so it was sort of a learning process for us and we realized to get the best out of people and to help them tell tell us their stories in the best way we had to give people some guidelines and initially that started with Emily just responding to emails individually with kind of a bespoke response saying, I think you should tweak your article this way and maybe change this. But that proved to be pretty time consuming when you're responding mm, to quite a I few people. Mm. So after a while, we realised, OK, what if we can direct people towards a, a set of kind of guidelines that they can think about before they send their first drafts to us that can help them craft what they're saying and the story a little bit and also make it feel like it's part of the same world as other things we've published, even though they're from all from writers with from really different backgrounds across the country and actually across the world as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, so easy to, to, in this time, have like content saturation where you just kind of think, I've just got to get loads and loads and loads of stuff out because everyone's always demanding content. But actually by making it more editorial, you're actually making sure that what you're producing is actually stuff people want to read and isn't just there for the sake of it. Yeah, and I think we'll take that approach with how we work in the future with brands. So the first um, paid partnership we've done with Talent Pool is, you know, we, we will only pick brands that genuinely we feel our audience will benefit from having the product in their lives because we, we're not desperate. Yeah, you become a Love Island star advertising a car air freshener otherwise. Exactly. <laughs> or some teeth whitener. Or some acrylic nails. Yeah, yeah, you. yeah perfect. You got pen You've been nails. influenced. <laughs> Should we just drop hints of any any kind of products we want to <laughs> What about a Mercedes partnership? <laughs> In the editing, we'll just turn up the volume when you say those things. <laughs> you know what brands love? Maseratis. <laughs> I think we're talking about the content. What's been your if you can pinpoint what's been your favourite article that someone submitted I have a very clear answer for this one it's an article that was written by my friend Ellie she wrote it when she was at work and she saved it on her shared server at work didn't think much more about it until she got an email from her boss saying Ellie why have you saved an article called why I love my shit grad job on our <laughs> shared work drive no. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so it all turned out fine Oh, and her boss was very understanding, but I think that is my favourite article for Just that for reason. Just for the story. Just for That's the story alone. Amazing. The content's great too. She talks about how your grad job doesn't have to be the perfect job or the dream job. And it's very easy to compare yourself to friends who seem to be absolutely smashing it and have their, their dream careers already sorted out. But it's actually okay to do something that's just for now and it's sort of time it's sort of like keeping you going until you find the thing you really want to do. Yeah, and I think mine, I was thinking about this. I think mine is, it was published about half a year ago by a guy called Greg, who wrote a piece about making friends in your 20s and how it's, you know, awkward and wonderful and difficult and all of, all of that side of life. And he touched upon, 
you know, the kind of very stable structures of friendships that we have in schools and with people that we grew up with in our area to then universities and you very clearly have your housemates or your course mates or you join a society and then you're flung out into the wide open world and everybody's all over the country, all over the world that you've known before you're having to work full time and how do you find friends so that side of it the practical side of making friends he goes into in quite a lot of detail and yeah he he put things in ways I hadn't thought of it before but the reason I think the article was so brilliant for me was because towards the end of the article he talks about the sort of quite toxic culture really of you know you see these inspirational posts on Instagram that are like you are the product of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are they? Are they <laughs> yeah. a good influence? If not, cut them out. Like, optimise and, yeah, making yourself more productive through your friends, which just seems like a horribly calculating clinical way to look at your friendships, for one thing. But also just incredibly negative. Like, a lot of dialogue around cutting friends out, and if they're a drain on you, if they're a negative energy, get rid of them, cut them out, you don't need them in your life. And I find those posts some of them quite aggressive and very negative and they can sort of make you feel a little bit I don't know if you listen to them too much a bit entitled and it his piece really made me think actually why aren't we being encouraged a little bit more to self-reflect and be okay with you know the things that we might not be doing right in the in our friendships and not only that but no friend is going to be positive energy throughout their life and if you want to have long-term friendships you can't only surround yourself with people who are positive, bringing you positive energy, mm-hmm. you know, bringing you good vibes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because it really does ignore the kind of nuance of the human condition. It's just like you people have to be up all the time and it just completely ignores that. And it's so useful actually because I read those sort of posts and I'm like, yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, I really should be doing that. Yeah. But actually it's like you have friends for different reasons in your life. You have friends who are in your life for different periods of time. Like you have the friends that you just go on nights out with. You've got the friends you have a deep chat with. You've got the friends that you talk about boys. We've got all sorts of different types of friends. And by saying they all have to be everything all the time, you're cutting out the opportunity to make lots of different connections with lots of different types of people. That's definitely true. And to, to the point about the reason you have different friends for different reasons is because everyone's built differently. And also everyone is imperfect. Like nobody's perfect. Nobody's got... You know, nobody is flawless. My closest friends have been through phases when they're really down and they need to rely on, on me a lot and they want to talk about things that are difficult or sad or... And vice versa. Like, I often want to lean on my friends and I, I want them to be there for me when when I need that. So if everybody took the attitude of, you know, who's the really... Who's the drain in your life? Who's the negativity? Or even if somebody's criticizing you you know it can can be nasty some people might try and tear you down that are close friends but it's only because they're feeling insecure or threatened or bad about themselves and if you just default to okay knee jerk I'm going to cut them out goodbye you then yeah you lose those friendships and we were saying the other day when we were talking about this you know you have to really give friendships a period of time and mm-hmm. and if there is difficult aspects of the friendship you have to look at the whole thing and think well is this worth is, is this friendship as a whole worth it worth putting up with the difficult times and a lot of the times the answer the answer will be yes and I think cutting friends out of your life during a period of your life when you are likely to feel incredibly lonely is a very dangerous thing to do I think loneliness is one of the topics that comes up most in the articles that we publish it's sort of a theme behind a lot of other topics and a lot of other problems people are facing and loneliness is definitely something that both of us experienced during our last year because well for practical reasons sometimes you're not living in such close proximity to the friends that you were living with for maybe one or two years at uni and you're moving back home to your hometown potentially where you maybe have lost touch with a lot of people you don't have that much in common with your school friends or you're moving to a a city that's totally new you're living in a shoebox room you're just trying to get through the day doing your job getting home don't have time to make friends so I think it's particularly relevant and you need, to, you need to nurture those friendships even when your friends are being a bit dickish or they're not responding to your messages initially or you know they're leaning on you a lot because it is worth it in the long term. It really is. Mm. Mm. I think it's really good that we spoke about friendships because that has actually come up a lot with our audience as well. Like a lot of people have said, what do you do when you move away from uni and you're not near your friends? And I, I've actually never thought about those posts, really. I kind of see them all the time, especially in the last year. And I've been like, 
okay, you hear that from your parents or something, like, oh, if they're not impacting you positively, like, just don't hang around with them anymore. But I think that thing of emotional labour is something that a lot of people are talking about right now, especially with regards to friendships. And people say, oh, if someone's relying on you for lots of mental health support, that is emotional labour. And it's like, no, that's being a good friend. And someone's Mm. probably done that for you as well. Yeah, and I think it's like, to completely digress and talk about Richard Curtis for a minute, the film About Time when towards the end I'm not going to I'm trying not to spoil it for everybody um, but hopefully <laughs> you've already seen it, it. <laughs> I've seen it about 50 times but towards the end when uh, Donald Gleeson's character he decides to relive every single day as if he uh, knowing what he knew beforehand and actually just do it with a bit more compassion I feel like that's a kind of philosophy we should, we should apply to our own lives is that like if you just treated everybody with a little bit more compassion and just thought actually someone is going through a shit time it takes five minutes for me to ask them how they are. And it, yes, it might you might see it as emotional labour, but actually you get so much back when you're nice to people and in, without it becoming a kind of give and take thing, it is give and take, it is reciprocal because if you are kind to people, they will be kind back to you mm. and you do really get out what you put into the world. And I think that's just generally we should all be thinking more about being compassionate and not just kind of going about our days thinking about ourselves and thinking about our own problems well i've just had a thought actually why is it that we have such a stomach to put up with like total crap and shit in romantic relationships i mean like marriages romantic relationships even if they only last six months do not last that long unless you are prepared to take the rough with the smooth if yeah. you're prepared to compromise if you're prepared to in my case it's mainly me being an absolute nightmare but you know <laughs> unless, you're, <laughs> unless you're prepared to yeah put up with some real crap from the other person because nobody's perfect why is it that then the dialogue when it comes to friendships is if they're being a nightmare if they're being not a bit of a knob for a while you know get rid of them like there's some sort of i don't know flu virus yeah <laughs> I know and that is the thing is I think it's a quote and I think it's something like we need to put more friendship into our romances and more romance into our friendships mm. and I think it's just such a lovely way of thinking about things is that they are although you might see platonic love and romantic love as two completely different things they're both exactly the same in the grand scheme of things and you just need to treat both of them with the same compassion that you should be treating yourself with mm. So what would you guys personally say to people who are really struggling and with not being surrounded by their friends after uni? I would say, first of all, that just because friends aren't physically present, it doesn't mean they're not friends. So one of my best friends, all-time best friends, lives in New York. So she moved out there two years ago. And at times, because of the lack of contact, because we're on different time zones, it honestly is like, she's just a, like dissolved out of my life and it's like real really heartbreaking sometimes but then it only takes a phone call or a voice note or to know that I'm gonna see her in a few months and to know that the friendship is still just 100% existent as it always was just because we're not frequently seeing each other every day it doesn't mean that the friendship's not there and my other best friend you know I went years without really speaking to that regularly because she was at university on one end of the country and I was at university on the other end now she's moved to London and we see each other loads your friendships just go through phases so I think just because your friends your friends aren't around you it doesn't mean you're bereft of them or they're not there and on a practical point of view I'd say if you want kind of more companions or day-to-day kind of contact with people clubs like Mm. Joining a club's always a great one. Mm. Yeah, starting a new hobby and finding people who have a shared passion, mm-hmm. I think, is a great way to do that. But also, kind of building on that point of if your friends aren't you know, physically there, doesn't mean they're not there for you. Um, I think it's helpful to remember that stuff is temporary. So while it might seem like um, you know, you've not got any friends around you and you're stuck in a position you're not happy with, um, don't let that define you. That's not who you are. You are a wonderful person with lots of friends and a really rich life. Right now, it seems a bit doom and gloom, but things will get better because they were great before and they'll be great again. And um, I think that's the trouble. When you get into a dark place, it can be really hard to see how things are going to get better. But you just have to believe that they will. And it's really freeing, I think, to remember that everything passes. And it humbles you a bit as well. Good things pass, like bad things pass. Nothing is a permanent state, so... And, and similarly with comparison, we talk a lot about comparison on the on quarter life and 
it's very easy and tempting to look sideways in our 20s and think, oh, that person's doing that, or that person's out all the time, or that person's got loads of friends, or that person's body looks great, or that person's on a great holiday. But actually, everything changes. And whilst, you know, one... And you see it with your friends, um, even, you know, up until your, to the point where you hit your 20s, one one year one of you's got a, a boyfriend and everyone else is single the next year one of you's got a great job or a great hairstyle like everything changes so looking sideways I think a is really damaging for your self-esteem if you're looking sideways and thinking well they're doing that now and I'm not but b it can limit you because it can make you think well I can't for example change my career or take a bit of time off work or go traveling because what if I get behind you know all this stuff is so temporary and I think it's looking sideways is really harmful and really pointless. Um, it holds you back, and it and it doesn't need to be done. I think that's advice that all grads could take. To be yeah, honest. such a salient point. I think we we do compare so much, and social media just makes life a million times harder. And so, would do you think that writing and kind of running quarter life has improved your relationship with social media? I think so. I think I see social media now as more of a place that is a creative hub where people are sharing helpful advice, they are sharing things they've created, they're really proud of, rather than it just being a tool for comparison and that immediate dopamine hit of like gratification when you're just scrolling through the endless scroll or you know looking through all the stories and feeling that sense of completion because I think it can be quite, become quite a negative influence in your life if if you don't kind of take control over it and turn it into something that is positive so I did something when I was in my final year at uni that was a conscious decision to unfollow all of the models I followed unfollow all of the kind of food blogs because I realized when I took a step back that when I saw those posts they were making me feel really bad about myself so I thought you know what I'm gonna unfollow all these pages and instead follow kind of arts pages cool magazines people doing interesting creative things and I turned it into something far more positive and I think Quarter Life has only helped that more because through our account, we follow people who are doing really cool stuff within this space. And it it's really inspiring to see. What I'd like to know as well is where do you see Quarter Life going over the next year? So we've got so many things that we want to do. And we're meeting next weekend, actually, because we, we like to have these weekend meetings, as Emily was saying, to really brainstorm and be really creative and and put together, you know, what are our goals? What's actually realistic this year? Maybe what can take a few years time and, you know, we don't have to give ourselves a year to achieve. But we have a few things in mind that we really want to do. So for example, there are so many stories we still want to tell and so many voices we want to hear from, but we can only do that if we have a bit more support, especially from brands who are willing to like co-create content with us. So that's something we'd really like to do perhaps video content, events where we can actually bring our online community offline, because as we were saying, loneliness is a huge issue for our generation, especially at this age. So anything that kind of brings us together and makes us feel part of a community and not on our own is is a real priority for us. Lovely. Amazing. So we wrap up every episode by asking you a question with a lovely cringy pun in it. How are you both going to continue to grad life by the horns? (laughs) I think for me, uh, I've recently been making my New Year's resolutions and I would normally make resolutions that are quite kind of goals orientated but this this year I've I've gone a bit of a different way and I suppose maybe it's where I'm at in life or the way I'm feeling or the conversations I've been having in my different relationships but I've decided to kind of approach the year a bit differently. I think what I realized was that anything could could happen in my life and unless I sort of change the way that I approach things or the way I respond to things, I, I might never be, you know, as happy as I'm always searching, trying to be. And I think what's interesting, I, I have conversations with my mum about this quite a lot, and she says, she says that, and I, and I don't mean this in a bad way, and I'll caveat by saying that suffering is, is a real spectrum, and, you know, some people close to me have gone through some absolute shit stuff recently, but the sort of day-to-day sufferings of our generation, and I'm speaking from my own point of view here, she she thinks that we sort of lost our ability to suffer. And I think, you know, that we panic when we feel a bit stressed or very stressed, that we panic when things aren't going well or when we feel the sensations of suffering um, or things not going right. 
and I think that's 100% true of me, but I also observe it of others in, in, in our generation, and that's not a criticism, but more kind of, it, it's something to empathise with, it's, it's not nice to not be able to suffer. And I think there is that universally actually quite amazing feeling when you get to absolute rock bottom, when you think, I've just hit the absolute shitter, it couldn't get any worse, I'm really, really low, and I couldn't be made to feel any worse. And the sort of sense of grit that you get from knowing that you're in that place, because you know you've got to pull yourself out, is a great feeling. Like, the feeling of grit is good. It's a really good feeling, and it's what sort of, I think maybe previous generations had to have a bit more of. The times in my life when I've sort of felt the most grit, I've probably felt the most euphoric and the most happy. So I think I'm gonna try and grab life by the horns by remembering that suffering isn't a bad thing and that actually I can call upon my stores of grit a lot sooner. Like I don't have to be at rock bottom to be like, okay, it's happening. Bad things are happening. I'm suffering or I'm stressed or things aren't going great. I mean, A, it's all relative. Mm. And so probably what I'm suffering with on a day-to-day basis is a millionth of what other people are suffering with, and that goes without saying. But it's okay that things aren't going great. It's okay that I feel like I'm suffering. I can just be a bit gritty about it, grit my teeth and and get through it. And I think that's probably probably how I'm going to grab life by the horns. And uh, I was telling Joy as well, I'm I'm, uh, to try and sort of think a bit differently about things I've uh, decided to keep a gratitude journal <laughs> amazing very Which, millennial of you. yes <laughs> <laughs> like as with anything I sort of thought after the first 10 days I'll have written what I'm written down what I'm grateful for and I'll be feeling great about life and you realize probably no you need to write in it every single day for 50 years <laughs> and then you'll have <laughs> mastered gratitude yeah. no but, but that's yeah. incredible that's an incredible way to think though actually because it's all about being moving from your comfort zone into your discomfort zone because you can't grow unless you're out of that Mm. And that's sort of what my my resolution is, how I'm going to grab life by the horns, I think, is to keep setting myself big, hairy, audacious goals that seem way too massive, but, you know, keep me motivated and keep me going and keep me achieving the things I've always wanted to do. And I think it's very easy to accept people's expectations of you and let them limit you, especially when you're junior, especially when you're a young woman and you're starting out at things. We... We found it interesting, the response we got to our magazine, because most people were really, really positive and really encouraging and complimentary. But there were a few people who were sceptical or a little bit critical or a little bit sarky, I think. Just because I think people sometimes feel threatened by people who are really motivated and passionate about stuff. I think also people... Well, why, why do you think people responded like that to us? I mean... I'm not really sure. It's... It's a really difficult subject and it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently but as with anything I think you sort of have to make a mental note of how it feels to be treated a certain way and I think maybe that's why we're both or why I particularly was so passionate about wanting to set up something that could help younger people because and and I, I take note of how Dolly Alderson and Pandora Sykes you know listen to the ramblings of two 20-somethings who had no business emailing them really and saying please can you talk about this on your on your podcast because a lot of other kind of more successful women would have you know turned their nose up and said no unsolicited emails you know you're wasting my time you're clogging up my airwaves you're putting emotional labor on me (laughs) and I think major mental note made to always make sure that a and I said I've said this to Joy before actually Joy's a few years younger than me, and when she first started at McCann, I remember her presenting on stage and thinking, oh, this girl's really good. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, hmm. I can imagine you being a very good presenter. Oh, (laughs) she's a great presenter. She's great at many things, but, you know, the gut reaction is to be like, oh, fuck, how do I bring this woman down? How how do I tear her down? Because she's going to make me look bad. And I remember thinking... No, that's not how you, that's not how things are done. Mm. And that's why I would say to anybody who wants to start doing some kind of project, just do it. Don't let what other people think of you stop you or what someone might say. Because actually, most of the time, people will be so encouraging and you will feel so good doing it as well. And it's so validating to know that, okay, I can do it. I don't need someone else to tell me what to do. I do have these skills. 
And there's nothing better than that feeling of having something of your own that's out in the world that didn't exist before that you've created. Mm. And you never regret trying something. Mm. So I think sometimes it's just like, do it, it might fail, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's like yeah. the Elizabeth Day philosophy, isn't it? It's just try it, give it a go. If it fails, it doesn't actually matter. Exactly. And no one will ever take the time out of their life to put you down or tell you it's shit or you know scatter their negative thoughts on you unless they have some kind of reason or motive for doing so mm-hmm. you know there will never be a good reason for a person doing that and it will always come from somebody who's in an unhappy place yeah and even if something goes a little bit wrong you'll learn from it and you can take those learnings forward and do something even better that's that's the only way you get better at doing something mm. we're all learning yeah we're all just trying to learn as we go so right mm. exactly yeah. so on that note thank you so much for coming on yeah we, girls you've been brilliant yeah, amazing. thank you so much for having us thank you for having us really enjoyed it Thank you so much for listening to that episode of Grad Life by the Horns. It was great, and Emily and Joy were really, really great to chat to. You had some really good, deep, girly chats yeah. about important stuff. It was just the four of us kind of having a bit of a chin wag, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think what's really great is it was kind of twofold, wasn't it? Because we were talking about their experiences as graduates and them navigating their quarter life, but also the actual content of the magazine itself and what it represents, mm. which I thought was awesome. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the bit where we spoke about how it's become kind of fashionable to cut people out of your life if they're not serving a purpose, and how if a friend is even slightly toxic, just like get rid of them, cut them out, you can do this on your own. And actually, it's realizing that you have friends for different reasons in life. You have friends that you go out out with, you have friends that you go to brunch with, you have friends that you cry to, you've got friends that you do activities with. There's work friends, and side projects. Yeah, exactly. You've got friends for different purposes and not every single person in your life needs to fulfil every single need. So it was really interesting to talk about that and just kind of see the idiosyncrasies of people rather than just seeing friendship as one monolithic thing. Yeah, there's enough pressure in our in our life anyway, rather than you don't need to, you know, spend all your energy and time cutting people out it's just pointless exactly it? so it's a really like positive and kind of educational chat about just yeah. kind of how to navigate life and just take everything a little bit less seriously mm-hmm. and focus on things that make you happy rather than the things that make you sad yeah and it's be re- it's really exciting to hear and see where they're going with quarter life and where they've been and they put up a a year's kind of summary the other day and it was really nice to watch and how far they've come and I plugged them at the beginning but I'll plug them quickly again so if you want to follow them on Twitter and Instagram it's at quarter life mag and the way you find the magazine or get involved in the magazine is by going to the website www.quarterlifemagazine.com lovely stuff but yeah we'll see you again in a couple of weeks with a really interesting episode but until then thank you for listening thank you joy and emily and we'll speak to you soon